This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What is going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. What's up, Colin? What's up, my man? What's going on? Just here for another day, another Monday. That's another Monday in the office. Another Monday in the office. <laughs> another Monday. <laughs> so we're selling our wells. Obviously, we've been talking about that for a long time, but I've been putting together all the data, ready to get those off the books. Yeah. Let's talk about the joys of owning wells for two seconds. We so if you've ever owned wells in Tulsa, just be prepared for terrible, terrible weather. We have a quarter mile road to the well, lease road, that no crew and no transport can currently get to. Yeah, we still have to fix the road somehow. It's a quarter mile. How do you fix a road that's quarter mile long? <laughs> well, to be in honest, terrible weather. I didn't think about this. We didn't put this in our performa, but torrential <laughs> rainstorms coming through, wiping out your road. Nobody can get to it. And in that time, the wool goes down too. So it's not even producing either. And then, you know, dealing with regulatory bodies and Oklahoma is always a joy. So, needless to say, the joys of owning oil wells are very limited. The short list. (laughs) The pain in the ass factors that you get, unlimited, infinite amounts of I think our philosophy now is if you're going to own wells, just make sure they produce a ton of oil. Yeah. I I came up with this philosophy in the last year that it doesn't matter if you have a well that's doing two barrels of oil or 2,000 barrels of oil. It's the same amount of work, so you might as well get one that's doing 2,000 barrels of oil. But, (laughs) man, I don't want to talk about the wells right now. Let's talk about some cool shit. What we got today? All right, so we're here with Dallas Scott, CEO of GS Logs. What's up, man? Not much. How are y'all guys doing today? Pretty good, pretty good, man. We Manic linked up Monday. Yeah, another Manic Monday. You know, we've been we linked up a few weeks ago, and the things have been hectic. So we finally yeah. got you in the studio. Absolutely. So welcome. We're super excited to to talk about what you guys what you're doing. Obviously, before we run the mic, you know, you're talking about you know all the stuff in the field, and so I think it's good. I think we've had a lot of we haven't had a lot of guys like you. I don't think on the show. So I think awesome. it's good to mix it up. Cool. Yeah, it's nice to have a fellow field hand in here that we can swap rig stories with. So we were I doing that for a good. <laughs> still got all your fingers too, so that's uh, good. Partially, partially, partially. And that reminds they, they me. So damaged. nine and a half. <laughs> we're talking about that movie Perfectionist just before we got on the microphone. It's a Netflix original, and you know she chops that that chick's hand off. And it reminded me. I used to work with this rig mover, and it's just an old man, and you could tell like he'd been through some stuff, and he's missing his hand, and he had this gold hook. And so he would grab his radio, you know, he'd have his radio clipped onto his lapel of his uh, shirt, and then he would operate it with that hook. Was it like a single and, hook, like yeah. from the movie hook, yeah. or was it like one of those? No, he's like a pirate. Like the hooks with the clips, like where you... Uh, no, it was just a single hook. still smoked a cigarette, at least. No, it was just a single hook. Like this dude was a G. He's like, no, oh, fuck it, I'm just going with a single hook. Talking about dropping stuff, you know, he he was moving this pump house, and I guess the truck had dropped it off, like, really aggressively and he stepped back and he just looks at me with like this cold blank stare and he's like i've only got one good one left <laughs> and then i was like yeah i can't say that if i lost my hand that i'd still be out there moving rigs but dude is a tough son of a bitch so he's still out there <laughs> well, i'm sure he got a nice check when he lost his hand too <clears throat> maybe so <laughs> so tell us a little bit about just logs and what you guys are are doing yeah so we're Based out of Huntsville, Texas, we're a remote operations company, strictly. We don't do kit boxes. We don't do motors. 
We're not an actual MWD company. We're not an actual directional company. We're 100% remote ops company. I actually left the field February 5th, left the rig February 5th, and started the company February 6th. So let me let me stop you real quick. So yes. when you say that you're not an actual MWD company, so you're not you're not providing personnel that's monitoring tools. You're not providing the tools themselves. So Correct. is this a software solution? No, it's really a personnel and financial solution. Okay. So what we do is we provide the remote ops facility and the experienced hands to run everything, right? So we're replacing MWD hands on location, take them off location. Unfortunately, people do lose their jobs, but we get plenty of resumes every day. So, And there's plenty of remote ops companies coming along online. So there's plenty of jobs. Again, we're not really taking the job out of, out of the industry. We're just changing the location of the job. Yeah, you're just changing right. the model that it's operated. And I think exactly. that this could actually you know be a way of the future i think it's halliburton that's working on a big kind of remote ops operation where you look at some of these field positions that are out on rigs there's not really a need to have them out on right. the the premise right right and so you know of course there's a lot of costs that are associated with that and there's no reason that some of these jobs can't be done from you know your, your office space in houston exactly so for those who don't understand Kind of the what? What is the problem that you guys are solving? Well, let's, let's kind of start let's talk. There. Let's talk. Yeah, let's talk about what does it a MWD hand do except for watch movies? <laughs> Let, let's kind of explain that because I'm sure a lot of people aren't familiar with what a uh, MWD hand is, what their right. job function is. So let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, MWD hand is uh, measurements while drilling, LWD hand logging while drilling. So of course you have a, a measurements while drilling tool that goes in inside the drill pipe. And we help the directional drillers determine where they're going at, what formation they're going to, target zones, all the good stuff. We log gamma, azimuthal gamma imaging, resistivity logging, formation logging, boundary logging, all types of different measurements while drilling and logging while drilling. And so MWD tools in the string, if people are thinking about it, when, when you're drilling a well, you know, you've got your drill bit, you've got your directional tools, uh, your mud motors, and then you've got your MWD tools Correct. above that. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, traditionally, uh, MWD tools run anywhere, depending on the length of the entire tool, run anywhere between 30 and about 55 feet behind the bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you got your bit, your motor, a couple of little dumb iron things, and then and then you got your UBHO, your non-MAC collars that your MWD tool or LWD tool is inside of. Gotcha. And then on every survey, every time a 90-foot is drilled, pumps are cut off, a connection is made, pumps are turned back on, and your traditional mud pulse tool, it pumps up the survey during a connection or when a connection is, is made. EM tools, they're pumping up surveys and information nonstop. So it really depends on the type of tool that is being run on how the survey is taken. Mm-hmm. And it also depends on what portion of the well is being drilled on how often you take the survey. Uh, yep. Some surveys are taken every 30 feet, some are every 90, some are every 200. It really just depends on the state and the the part of the well that you're drilling. Yep. So, you know, just kind of put it in layman's terms for anyone that's not involved in the drilling space or downhole tools. So you could say that MWD assists the directional driller by providing surveys, you know, kind of telling them their parameters of where they're at in the drilling process. And then it's all operated by the rigs pumps. Yes. Basically the MWD delivers the inclination azimuth Mm -hmm. to the directional driller. He runs his numbers, figures out his projection a bit, 
along with, you know, he runs his well plan information, what, what targets he has, what build rates he needs to hit. You know, he goes off that well plan and he's also given a window that the engineers give him. Usually it's, you know, 10 up and down and 20 left and right or 25 left and right. So they, they, they have a window that they have to stay inside of. Yeah, it's a complicated process, right? Because you can't have dog legs in the well bore. You know, you can't go outside. I mean, you could very easily drill a well into someone else's leases or, or rights. So, and then staying in the pay zone is important, obviously. Yeah, so. you definitely uh, make sure you don't want to cross any hard lines, for sure. Railroad Commission will be on you quick, fast, and in a hurry. <laughs> and and it's it's all about wellbore placement. You know, the, the more precise you can get, the better production you're going to get. So, yeah. so, you know, before it was just make hole as fast as you can, right? Now it's make hole as fast as you can, but be as accurate as possible as well. Mm-hmm. And don't hit anything. Yeah. You know, don't hit any other wells. I mean, in, in West Texas, in the Permian, how many wells are out there? A lot. Yeah. yeah it's I mean, funny when you talk about, you know, used to, to, to drill through. You yeah. Know? Used to, it was just drill as fast as you can. I remember I was doing pipe recovery and wireline and this was right at the beginning of the shell boom. So a lot of people were still drilling vertical wells out there and we got to this well. They had drilled 18 degrees out on a vertical and, you know, typical parameters like three degrees max yeah, inclination. Absolutely. And, you know, at this time, you know, they're just running like every rig would have their own little survey tool, you know, that they'd run on some slick line that was attached to the rig, run it down. And I asked them, I was like, man, why'd y'all, why'd y'all keep drilling if you're 18 degrees out? And they're like, oh, we didn't believe the tool. So they just and, <laughs> and that happens a lot. You yeah. Know, surprise how many company men don't believe the surveys that are pumped up, especially in vertical. And it depends on the tools that are being used. Like a lot of gyro tools that are used or wireline tools, they don't they don't trust them. And sometimes they don't trust the MWD tool and we'll we'll drill a whole section and they'll be like, All right, you're gonna be on standby for a day or two, we're gonna gyro the will. <laughs> like we were just out here, we QC'd and qualified every single survey. You're telling me you don't you don't believe what we what we told you? I mean, we do have a lips of uncertainty, but what well, is a you know, downhole physics are already hard enough, but then when you have trust issues with the equipment and tools that you're using, it makes it even harder. And saw this run on expandable casing. We'd run a packer to test a wellbore to see if there was an anomaly in the casing where there was a casing leak. Right. And the packer would tell us that we we're at this footage, but then, you know, we'd run a casing caliper log and it would say it was at a different different depth. And so you have to start second guessing and questioning like, well, is that logging tool working properly? Is it correlated properly? You know, we've got a 10 foot difference here. Well, so absolutely. Well, just at like the energy tech night when we were talking about good data and bad data, I mean, how many terabytes of data are out there, but how, how much of that data is actual quality data? How much yeah. of it is truly usable data? You know, so, in the oil business, the answer is <laughs> not a very high percentage of it's good. Surprisingly, so. right? These yeah. are multi-million dollar operations and the amount of usable data is very finite, Yeah, which is insane. And I mean, a lot of, when I first got into this, into this business, I found it very interesting that a multi-million dollar operation is based off of earplug. Yeah. Right? You yeah. know? And when the directional driller is up there high siding the motor with the MWD tool, how does he do it? He eyeballs it, sticks an earplug up there, tells the driller to pull it back up, and he looks up. All right, yeah, that looks about right. Pull calls the company man over. Hey, what do you think? Ah, that's good enough drill vertical. Yeah, yeah it's all right. Okay, good enough for government work, I guess, right? We're basing an entire well's positioning off of an earplug, and who knows? You know, that could be... In reality, it could be 20 degrees off. Earplugs and chalk marks. Yeah, earplugs and chalk marks. <laughs> so let's take like two seconds. Let's kind of go back. Let's tell your story. Where, yes. how, how'd you get started in the oil field? So to be honest with you, I was a bartender for 10 years, right? I feel like that's common though. Did you grow up in Midland or? 
No, I actually was born in Houston. Okay. I was a Marine brat, so I moved around a lot. And some unfortunate things happened in my family, and I was on my own at the age of 13. And actually have held a full-time job ever since I was 13 years old. Got into the bar business somewhat out of high school because I had a full beard and looked a lot older than 18. (laughs) (laughs) So I was actually in the bar business for 10 years. I bartended all over the United States and down in the Keys, Florida Keys. Anyways, I got the girl I was with pregnant and we were having a kid. And I figured, all right, well, it's time to get a real job. I can't be a bartender forever and, and have a family. So with the education that I had and the experience that I had, my best bang for buck education-wise was the oil field because you didn't really need much of an education to go through tools, yep. you know? So my brother-in-law is actually a company man offshore. So I, you know, tried to get him to help me out. And he sent me on a wild goose chase for about a year and a half. <laughs> sent me all over the United States, say, hey, yeah, go to this company. They're, they're, they're waiting on you. They know who you are. I told them all about you. There's a job waiting for you as soon as you get there. You just got to take a piss test and, and fill out the paperwork. Okay, cool. So I drive hours, 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 get there. They don't know who I am. They're not waiting on me. They don't know what's going on. They've never even talked to my brother-in-law, nothing, right? So I'm like, oh, my God, what is going on? So, like, this went on for, like, a year and a half. Did he just have it out for you or what? Yeah, in a way. Yeah, yeah he's, he's I mean, got a different way of doing things. Yeah. Just put it that way, right? Anyways, to, to be honest with you, after, like, a year and a half of it, I said, what's, what's going on? Why are you sending me on this wild goose chase? And he's like, you don't, you can't come out here and throw tools for 12 hours a day. I don't think you can do it. So he's like, I, he's like, I'm, I can't put my name behind you, right? So I was like, okay, well, you say I can't do it, so let me go prove you wrong, right? So I went out for about another year, banging on doors everywhere, right? Trying to get in, do anything that I can. Uh, and you're still bartending throughout all of this? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. still bartending throughout all this. And I went to a company, uh, Wellbenders Directional, out of Conroe. And spoke to a gentleman in there, told me what was going on. And he said, hey, you know, I was in the exact same position you were, you're in and just trying to get a toe in the door. And one person finally gave me that opportunity and I'll be that opportunity for you. And I had no idea what an MWD was. He basically just told me what I was getting paid and my jaw dropped to the floor because I'd never been paid that much in my life to <laughs> do what he was saying to do. So I was super excited. I really didn't even care what i was supposed to be doing i was just (laughs) excited about how much i was going to be getting paid so yeah i got my feet wet with wellbenders started off with them i actually when i started we still had to write code to program tools like there was no cookie cutter programs that you just upload into the tools and you're good to go you still had to like write code and program the tools physically and that's super interesting to me that, that 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 was a thing like yeah. how, so, wait. So how like how intricate was was the coding of these tools? Oh, it's very intric- intricate. I mean, you got to go through every telemetry sequence, survey sequence. I mean, you got to write all of that in the tool, and and you got to write it per section of wow. the well that you're drilling that. and the parameters that you're drilling, along with your, you know, you got to figure out your poppet and orifice configuration for the right pump rates and flow rates and all that stuff. And how long ago was this? Ten years ago. Yeah, that's what it was thinking maybe a decade ago so yeah. that's crazy but, but, but what's crazy was the tool was wireless right we didn't have to run any cables across location none of the none of the crazy stuff that the normal mwd hand does but we still had to write program for it 
And, well, you know, I say we had to write program. Maybe that was just the lead hand that was teaching me that made sure that I, I knew everything that just in case, you know, something did go wrong, mm-hmm. that I knew how to do stuff manually. And and that was that was very interesting when I worked for oil benders. It was in a time where the oil field was very rough, right? Mm-hmm. Like you either did the job or you got ran off. Yeah. Like it was not a problem to run anybody off back then. Yeah. There was no, uh, you know, calling you. You can't call the one eight hundred number for being called a worm or <laughs> a lazy piece of shit or or whatever it may be. Right. You were just run off location. It's funny how even just 10 years ago, how much has changed in the industry oh. on that aspect. Because that's when I started roughnecking was You were telling me ago. yesterday, you were like, because we were out at the pool, and I was like, oh, so we were able to you know, go out and rig just shirtless and stuff. Oh, yeah, because we were talking about how bad my farmer's tan was when yeah. I worked out on a rig. I was like, man, like my forearms should just be like dark, and then my you know upper arms are just yeah. white as could be. And he's like, y'all didn't have to wear coveralls? I was like, fuck no, dude. We just roughneck, no shirts, shorts. Yeah. <laughs> like That's how it was exactly. just 10 years ago. I mean, if you had a problem on location, you know, just walk across the category and handle it. You know? and, and if there was a continued problem, then you contacted somebody in the office and asked to get moved to a different rig. or Yeah, we ran someone whatever. off on a rig because he was eating our fun-sized butterfingers that we brought from the house and we told them not to eat them and that was means for getting run off on a rain bag then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, uh, people would get run off for all types of things. I mean, you're you're a close-knit team. I mean, you have to live together, work together 12 hours a day. You know, I mean, Every day, yeah, yeah. It's not like you get to leave and go to town and, you know, go hang out or go home or whatever. I mean, you're in a very remote location and you're stuck out there until the job's done mm-hmm. or until your hitch is over with. And, and that's another thing that a lot of people don't understand is that uh, everybody else has a hitch in the oil field except for MWDs and directional drillers. Yeah. That's We're right. out there from spud to TD. That's why we, I, to um, go home. we actually had an intern working for us and she wanted to go MWD directional driller. And I was telling her, I said, it's a rough life. I said, you're there with that, with that rig, if that rig's running. Stop. Yeah. Absolutely. You're out there. So it's pretty interesting though, to hear about your story with your brother-in-law and, and getting the job. But you know, in your brother-in-law's defense, it is hard putting your name on someone in, in this industry because oil isn't for everybody, right? I and, mean, your name's uh, everything in this business, too. Yeah. And man, and after getting into it, I now I understand because I wouldn't put my name on a lot of people either. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, you get that one company, you know, it sounded like you're really persistent. You get that one company that'll take a chance on you. And it, it sounds similar to my story because I graduated high school in 2008, you know, in a downturn and it was hard. And remember Savannah drilling, giving me my shot and got in there and they told me I was going to make, I was like, Oh fuck yeah, man, this is, this is awesome. Right. You know, I didn't care if I was working warm's corner, you know, pulling slips. What color hard hat am I wearing? Yeah. <laughs> I remember asking him, I was like, I was like, where do I, where do I get gloves? And he's like, I don't know. You can just go to the convenience Walmart. store and buy them. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so, you know, like he told me I'd probably start in two weeks because all they were waiting for was someone to get run off or quit. And then they would put me in their spot and he calls me that night. He's like, hey, get your boots. You're going out tonight. And I just remember being scared shitless. And yeah, oh, yeah. I, I was I scared pulled, as hell when I, I first up, got called out. Yeah, I pull up to that rig and I'm like, man, what did I get myself into? But it's, uh, Yeah, because as soon as you show up, everybody knows. Oh, everybody yeah. knows that you're a worm. Dude, they can smell it. Man. Oh, yeah. They can it's smell the fear. Fresh, <laughs> it's fresh blood. It's like Shark Week. <laughs> it is. But I just think about, you know, that opportunity that I was given because I didn't have any experience. There was a lot of experienced hands out of work at the time. But, you know, if, you, if you're just persistent, you get that one company that will take a chance on you. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I was a field hand for, for 10 years. Worked with several different other companies. Multi-shot, MS Energy. Got laid off in 2014 literally just unlocked my front door from Midland and got a phone call. So that sucked. 
during the 2014 downturn, I did some headhunter and contract work for Halliburton and Slumberger, and then eventually worked for Lean Directional out of Conroe as well. For Lean? Yes. Oh, okay. And all the companies that I worked for had remote ops in them, right? So I had, I had seen remote ops from 10 years ago. Really? Is that, a, I mean, is that a pretty common practice? So 10 years ago, even the majors were, were playing around with it, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out how it can be done. A lot of people were doing remote monitoring, right? Yeah. So they're watching everything already. So why not just start so doing all the work? So what's the difference between the remote monitoring and the remote ops? Is the ops just a, takes it to the personnel level and not actually have any way? Yeah, because they still have an MWD hand in the field, you know, in his trailer on location. Sometimes. Depends on the tools, right? So we can do single man operations or we can do completely manless operations where there's nobody on location besides a roving team that's like in a, a man camp or essential location, and they come out for hard troubleshooting or BHA changes. Mm. So manless jobs are, are optional right now. Yeah. To where there's nobody on location. And there's even a, a completely manless DD operations going on right now as well. I believe it. I mean, well, just think of what are the physical roles of an MWD or a directional driller on location? Like you go and, you know, Gauge your tools, you know, yeah. take some IDs, ODs. Pretty much you know, Inven- inventory them. your tools. As an MWD, you, you check all your batteries, depacify all your batteries, make sure that they're good. You go ahead and as soon as you get on location, you go ahead and build both your tools, tool strings, and you test them, make sure that they're in working order. You go ahead and program both of them, make sure that they can take the programs, and then you break them down. Mm-hmm. And, and then you just wait, really. It's just a, pretty much a hurry up and wait thing. Just feel like you can be drilling a well sitting at home in your underwear on the couch, just monitoring everything. Get- yeah, I'll try to be a little bit more professional than that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying if it was me, that's yeah. what I would be yeah, doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and there are some people that a whole bunch of dudes sitting in the underwear at the office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So but, you're working for these companies and you're already seeing the, the remote operations, remote monitoring taking place and... 2014 you get laid off yes and then what what happens what what kind of transitions you into gs logs and so i actually didn't start gs logs till this year february this year wow okay so the the real reason that made me decide to do this is all the different companies that i was working for and i saw remote ops within those companies they never offered the service outside of themselves right they all kept it internal and i saw such a larger market for it why not share this with everybody right all Mm -hmm. the majors already have this and have a really nice setup, right? Super sweet, got all these, you know, uh, proprietary programs and all this really neat stuff that they've developed and, and makes everything optimized and everything's built into, you know, a dashboard and everybody can log in and see it. But not very many independents had the pocketbook to be able to do it, right? A few of them did and a few of them found some cheaper ways to do it. Again, they never offered it to anybody else, which I do understand in part, but you can make a lot more money if you offered it to everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So I saw the opportunity, and the company I was working with at the time gave me some ultimatums, some structure changes were happening at the company I was working at, and and quite personally, I felt undervalued. So I just took all my money and decided, walked off the rig February 5th, started my company February 6th, already had everything in line, ready to go. And I just, I just saw a market for it, right? I see the operator's business plan changing. For the longest time, they've been, they've been getting turnkey operations from directional companies, right? You got, you got your MWD hands, you got your tools, your MWD kit boxes, 
you've got the DD package, the, uh, the mud motors, the rotary steerables, all in a turnkey package, right? Well, now I see a lot of operators more interested in getting the best of the best, right? Company ABC over here has the best mud motor. Company 123 over here has the best NWD tools. Company XYZ can run it all remote for a way cheaper price than one field hand. So why not we take all this a la carte and put it together, mm -hmm. right? Instead of getting an end-to-end -end solution from one right. company, a package. Right. Now we have the best performing tools all around, and we have the most cost-effective way to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. I think this happened in a couple of different verticals because I remember back when I was running wireline in like 2012, 2013, like Weatherford would do this a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, we'd go log wells. I think it was for Laredo and we would log the well, but we didn't get any of the uh, frack or, or the stage work. And that was because Weatherford would bundle their frack crews, their frack tank rentals and their mm -hmm. wireline all together. And then I think companies started realizing that maybe price wise that was attractive, but performance wise it wasn't because Weatherford's wireline wasn't as good as exactly. you know Capitan wireline was. Exactly. And so, you know, I, and it's always so for, so for me as an it's somebody who's obviously never worked in the field, how are you able to tell? Is it just through kind of your experience or is it hearsay? It seems like it seems like that was kind of like a known thing that like Weatherford's wireline wasn't as good and i mean you can like nod it and stuff so like how, do, how does that how does that work <laughs> how well, do you get that field knowledge yeah how do you get that how do you get that field knowledge just word of mouth i guess yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's word of mouth and and also being run off location and being replaced by another company right mm. so i mean i've been personally run off maybe twice but i've been run off as a company several times not as gs logs but working with other companies You're not a real field hand if you ain't been run off yeah exactly <laughs> so being run off is just like hey it's a learning experience you, you suck get the fuck out we're bringing somebody else it's exactly right. that, pretty much and right? that's exact language too yeah. <laughs> i was trying to be as accurate as possible yeah it's very, that's very accurate yeah kick rocks so and and it's speaking to those because it takes a long time to break down a job right not only okay first off to get your tool out of the hole you know the rig's got a trip right mm -hmm. so it's a day and, tripping right there yeah. exactly and you can't rig down depending on what part of the the hole you're in you can't rig down your stuff until they're at the top of the curve or a certain section of the well so i mean especially if they get to the top of the curve they're going to start yanking a lot faster than what they normally do if they're in the lateral of the curve mm -hmm. so you know you got to wait till they get to that point before you can even start rigging down the job that takes a long time that's, that's a couple hours, especially if you're running cables across location. You got to make sure everything's all nice and cleaned up. You don't want to deliver anything back to the to the shop dirty. But when another company comes out, I mean, you speak to them, you shoot the shit with them. You know, you find out what's going on with their stuff. You find out what they're doing. Field hands talk. You know, everybody <laughs> talks to each other because everybody's looking for another job. <laughs> Always looking for the next best everybody's thing. Everybody's <laughs> looking for another job. Everybody's got a job, but everybody's looking for another one. I promise you that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so that's damn <laughs> so everybody's looking for the easier tools to run. Everybody's looking for less paperwork to do. Everybody's looking for the bigger paycheck. So everybody talks in the field, and we tell the honest truth about our tools. You know, mm -hmm. especially on the field hand part of it. So, so that that's how we learn. You know, and then if you're savvy, like uh, some people, uh, I've invested heavily in in some oil stocks. So I have to, in order to make 
right choices in the stock market, I need to know about that company. So I and you know look more into companies on the service side. White papers on the service side, it's mm. pretty easy to tell the difference between company's performance. I mean, one, you can tell just from the field hands performance, their professionalism, but then also equipment. And it kind of goes back to your point of how do we drill wells, you know, with a earplug or a chalk mark and we're running these multi-million dollar operations. I was just laugh that, you know, we got these multi-million dollar operations being ran by the lowest bidders. Yeah. And you know, yeah, that's another and, thing too. Right? And, and, it, and, you know, obviously that kind of creates a downward pressure on these service companies because they want to give their best service that they can, but also they're getting just, you know, they're getting, hammered by the EMPs wanting lower prices. And to be honest with you, that's a, that's another big reason why I, I saw a a market for my service, right? Because we're a remote operations company for MWD and LWD service providers, directional companies, tool rental companies, OEM manufacturers, anybody in the MWD game. So we can work with everybody in the industry. And you got to think, these operators have been wanting these directional companies to go faster, 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 right? Used to wells used to take 30 days then they got knocked down to 21 days and south texas you're drilling wells at 12 days 10 days nine days right mm -hmm. but no directional company has raised their prices since 2008 so they're drilling wells two and three times faster at the same afe and the same cost that they were in 2008 yeah your profit margin is gone right so let's free up some of your payroll capital some of your liquid cash take Sorry to say, the easiest replacement guys there are, the MWD guys. I'm sorry I was an MWD guy. I saw my job was very finite when I first got into the business. Mm -hmm. I knew business models were going to be changing. You have to change with the industry or you go the way of the industry. We call that evolve or die. Exactly. Yeah. You know. So I saw the industry evolving and I saw you know, the, the profit margins weren't there. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of these companies are drilling upside down, drilling negatively just to have a rig count. Yep. Who cares about your rig count? Are you drilling profitably? Mm -hmm. I don't care if you've got 45 rigs, but you're drilling upside down. What's the point? Just to have a rig count, just so you can be at the top of the list, so you can have bragging rights? But you're drilling upside down. Has anybody moved away from the day rate? Well, yes. Yes. yeah. There's some that drill per footage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. A lot of performance based. Yeah. There's a lot of footage. It's funny because... Wait, are the margins better with that? No. Uh, it's all... You're all playing. It depends on your shit. tools. Right, if you're having tool failures, now you're not drilling any footage, so you're not getting paid. When we were drilling and you wells, for the trip. when we were drilling wells, you know, we were drilling just eleven thousand foot verticals. But you know, back then, just to drill verticals was taking a month, and we were able to start knocking them out in two weeks. And you know, we'd get a bonus, a performance bonus, if, if we were knocking these wells out in, in right. two weeks' time. And I'd always sit there and I'd be like, hey "Guys, we're just working ourselves out of." Out of a job, essentially, you know, we're just drilling okay. faster, drilling faster and faster. We're not making any more money for it. But, you know, it is a good point. And it's funny when you talk about rig count, like, I don't even look at the rig count. I don't give a shit about the rig count. It's not correlated to anything in terms of performance for assets or companies. And so it's rig just... Count, rig count is a bragging thing. It is. All it is. I mean, rig count matters for service companies like MWD or directional drillers. You know, obviously, the more rigs there are, the more work's going to be for them. But from the EMP side, there's no significance in, in the amount of rigs that are out and running. I got a question for you on yes. your model. So, you know, we, we talk about these companies were building internal remote operations and you saw a need to take it, you know, to scale it and offer it as a service to all these other companies. And it's actually 
you know, we talk about this quite a bit in the data side, like these big EMPs have the resources and ability to build internal software and the smaller independents don't have that ability. So mm -hmm. it seems like this business model kind of takes that same type of thinking and, and applies it to the MWD sector. What's your model? Are you taking, are you working with the directional MWD companies and, you know, contracting their MWD hands or are you guys hiring, you know, just MWD hands that are looking for, for a new gig and bringing them under GS logs and then, you know, contracting them out to EMPs. So, so right now I've got four base guys. Okay. I will never have a, a W2 hand. All employees will always be 1099s, mm -hmm. but I pay them very well. So, and I do that for scalability, right? Mm -hmm. So if I don't have any work, I don't have anybody on payroll right very bootstraps i'm not funded by anybody i don't have any investor companies backing me mm -hmm. nobody's backing me right everything's out of my own pocket mm -hmm. so i'm very bootstraps okay so what we're doing is we're working through directional companies okay so gs logs piggybacks off of a directional company okay mm -hmm. or mwd company whichever are they not the same typically or so, so I, thought, I thought MWDs are just kind of like paired like well let's let's take Gordon Technologies for example they only do MWD okay they have no directional drillers whatsoever or mud, or mud motors interesting a company like Leem does both though don't they yes yeah okay. yeah, yeah they right. do and, and most companies do there's a few companies that are that are changing their business models to to curtail to one section right gotcha. like Gordon Technologies they they decided to become the best MWD company mm -hmm. there is, right? It makes sense. And Focus on a niche, yeah. Right, and perfect it, mm -hmm. right? And that and that's what I'm doing is I'm I'm perfecting the remote ops. So and and as a bootstrap company, I keep 1099 hands. We work through directional companies. We what we do is it's up to the directional company if they want single man operations or completely manless operations. Manless operations depend on a lot of logistical factors. One, do you have a tool that can be ran manless? Primarily needs to be a collar mounted tool, but there are some traditional mud pulse tools, tensor tools that can be run manless as long as you have the logistics set up for it. You got to have a roving team within a, within they, the area. Oh yeah. They Did you say a collar mounted tool? Yes. What is what is that? So it's a MWD tool that's put in a non mag collar and it's and it's clamped inside. Like oh, it's not okay. retrievable whatsoever. Okay. It comes out already in the non mag collar. Okay. And it's already programmed. And a DD can just pick it up. Pick it up and run it in the hole. Run it in the hole. Okay. Do his do his driller assembly offset to get the, the high side. He would call the remote ops team to notify him of that number. Uh, we put it in the systems, and then and then we log into everything on location remotely. So the MWD company would would basically go out. They would rig the job up. They would set up all the computers in the trailer, start the job off right, put all the job data in there, and then if it's a traditional mud pulse or tensor tool, they got to build the tool program and all that good stuff, right? We ask them to stage certain things transducers spare cables spare computers so that way the dd can can grab them and change something out real quick mm -hmm. or a rig hand can change something out real quick and if it's complete manless they'll be stationed at you know within a 30 minutes drive of the rig and we're in complete communication and in constant contact with everybody on location company men directional drillers MWD, if there's still one on location, engineers, geosteering, everybody in, that's in the offices, 
back in wherever Houston. How do you guys stay in contact for those who don't know? Is it, is it walkie talkies, is it phone, email? <laughs> what, what are we working with here? So we, we have plenty of different ways, primarily phone, text message, phone calls. We record all the phone calls. We keep track of all the text messages. Just, you know, so if anything comes back on us, email, Skype, WhatsApp, Google meeting, FaceTime. Just whatever means possible. Whatever means possible, right? I really like the model of you have remote ops and then you have your area crews or or whatever you're calling them. You know, someone just in the area because you think about the Permian, you know, how many rigs could one person service a a lot, right? right? And so then that cost of that person out in the field is is spread you know across all those rigs bring so multiple bring jobs at a time potentially yes okay. mm-hmm. yes yes, wow. yes yes yeah so and but but the roving team can get kind of sketchy too because what if two rigs are chipping at the same time no no yeah. i i understand <laughs> so, that a hundred percent and it does happen right yeah, yeah. so so i mean it can it it is a good thing but it can you got to make sure you have enough be, guys. It can be a logistic team. nightmare yeah, too. Yeah, it can be yeah. a logistic nightmare. Yeah, if you got multiple rigs tripping. Yeah. at the same time, and you never know when a rig's going to trip, right? So it's not something that you can plan. Like, hey, this, you know. Yeah. I mean, you can try to plan. Like, yeah, we should be TD tomorrow, so we'll be tripping out a hole tomorrow right. night. But then you, you know, have a bit something. failure five hundred feet before exactly. TD. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, trust me, I I understand that one hundred percent. So so basically, what we do is we log into the systems on location remotely. There's plenty of different ways to do it. You know, the easiest way to do it is Team Viewer. If there's a, a good internet connection, if there's a poor internet connection, we do an IP redirect where we completely take over the systems on location. They become our systems, and everything is done through our offices with the dedicated T1 internet connection, so everything's a lot faster. If there is horrible well, internet... Who said Phil Hands did no technology? Oh, man. That's, so, some, that's, <laughs> some, that's some advanced tech stuff right there, man. So, and then if there isn't... If there is really bad internet... And we don't want to do an IP redirect because if we do an IP redirect, right, I have a remote ops station that can watch five rigs. Okay, one guy can watch five rigs, right? But if we have to do an IP redirect, that station goes from watching five rigs to a dedicated one mm. because it's IP change, right? Yeah. So my system has to be on that IP address. And with TeamViewer, you can do multiple at a time. With TeamViewer, yeah. I can do multiple. With IP redirect, I can. I have do to you do guys it. find that it's a barrier right now to use TeamViewer? I mean, are internet connections in most locations good enough to run that, or are you guys having to do dedicated IPs? So we do have a second option. We have partnered with a company out of Oklahoma to provide remote 5G cell phone and internet service they have worked out a deal with at&t and verizon to get the number one spot on all their towers nationwide so they they currently have 300 units of their of their 5g service 300 units in the premium in delaware with zero loss service wow so yeah damn they probably get better cell phone service than i get at my house in houston yeah they probably do yeah (laughs) i've got got at&t in houston and it seems like i'm like and i live in the middle of <laughs> right, I live right next to an AT and T tower and can't get any service. Yeah. <laughs> so, so where are your guys? So where are your guys at? Are they in a like a mobile unit? Wait, no. So where all are my, they set up at? So all my guys are in, are in an actual office. Okay. Right. So just like there's offices here. Yeah, yeah. We're all in in one office, and it's a I guess kind of like a command center. I okay. guess you would call it right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. That's what we're gonna call it because it sounds cool. Yeah. It's not anything like Baker Hughes has or anything like that, but. It, it gets the job done. Mm-hmm. I didn't go for pizzazz and, and sexiness. I, I went for <laughs> functionality. You know, uh, there's a famous investor, J. 
Jason Kokanis. Kokanis, yeah. I couldn't think of his last name. And he calls that Taj Mahal syndrome. He says that he knows a startup is they're done innovating when they get Taj Mahal syndrome and they spend all this money on a badass office. Mm -hmm. He said, mm -hmm. he said, look at Apple. You know, Apple hasn't come out with anything like extremely innovative in the last decade, but they're building this spaceship of an office. And he said, that's Taj Mahal. So, yeah. you know, you can't get caught up in having too nice of office spaces. Exactly. But, and they do it for their clients. Mm-hmm. When they have clients coming and do tours, they want it to look all pretty for them so they can win the work and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it is what it is, but that's not what I went for. Yeah. I went for functionality. So I do have an office in, in Houston on the same road that you guys are on. We can watch 20 rigs at that location. I do have another smaller office in Huntsville. We can watch another 10 rigs there. And we can do this 12-hour towers or we can do a 24-hour operation. And... You may ask, why do you have two locations? Why not just be in Houston where everybody's at? Well, <laughs> as we all know, Houston is a fishbowl, and when it rains, it floods, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of people don't understand how big Houston is, too. I mean, oh. I'll have friends come in town, and they're like, hey, I'm in Houston. We should get together. I'm like, okay, where you what at? What side of town are you on? <laughs> like, I'm in League City. I'm like, hmm. yeah, it's like unless two you're hours away. Yeah, unless you're driving to me, <laughs> we're not going to see each other. <laughs> so so I, I put my really my main facility in Huntsville due to, to weather, right? Anytime mm -hmm. that there's a hurricane or anything like that, I can't call direction companies or operators and be like, hey, sorry, there's a hurricane here in Houston. I can't get to the facility. I can't watch your rig. We're doing manless operations. Nobody's on location and, and nobody can get to the office to, to log in. Yeah. I can't make that phone call. Yeah. So my... Better just buy a boat that way. <laughs> have another Hurricane Harvey. You're like, hey, got the trolling motor going. We're making it to the office. Yeah, Dallas is right. boating to the office. <laughs> <laughs> a little flat bottom boat. <laughs> and I also did everything. I have triple redundancies on everything. Triple redundancies on power, internet, storage, hard drive space. So that way if anything goes down, I have a backup. Mm -hmm. If that backup goes down, I got another, another backup. backup, right? So and then and that's yeah, I'd be paranoid as hell too. So right, exactly. I'm a startup company. Yep. I'm asking operators and directional companies to to give me multi million dollar work, mm -hmm. right, with no name. So I gotta make them feel comfortable. I gotta make them feel safe. That okay, they take this risk. He has everything in place. Yep. Okay. He might not have the sexy office with all the LEDs and the cool changing sign or anything <laughs> like that, but he has everything in place, right? Yep. And he knows what he's doing. Everybody that he has working for him is from the field, right? Everybody turned tools. Mm -hmm. I even have a former company man for Chesapeake working for me. Nice. I've got drilling engineers from Baker Hughes that are waiting for me to bring on remote directional drilling. They're coming on board. I've got so many hands from overseas with H-1B visas, the intellectual visas that are wanting to come over and, and work for me. I had a couple of pretty nice deals on the table that unfortunately fell through due to some government regulations that are now in place. Mm -hmm. I had one of the largest oil operators in Abu Dhabi contact me and wanted me to do some work for him. I agreed to do the work. Two days later, they contacted me and said, hey, we got with our government, our government regulations state we can't send any data outside of Abu Dhabi. So unfortunately, mm -hmm. we can't do business. Well, I was at Shell's investor little get together tech night, and I had an investor come up, told him the situation. He said, "Well, why don't you have anybody in Abu Dhabi?" I said, "That's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I need some investment. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put somebody in Abu Dhabi yeah. tomorrow if I got the money. Yeah, <laughs> just requ requires some uh, some capital and resources. <laughs> exactly. 
So hey, the good thing is, is if your offices flood here, then you can just run everything out of Abu Dhabi. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's definitely not flooding there. <laughs> no, not at any time soon. <laughs> so take remote operations. So many companies are already doing it. And you would ask, okay, why not do it in-house? Right? Why outsource this to another company? Okay. Well, the reason why is the infrastructure is already in place. I can actually, I've already developed a way to do this cheaper than anybody else can. Mm-hmm. Right? Even if you were to do it in-house, I can still provide the service cheaper than what you're paying the guy in the remote house facility yep. to do it. Or what you're even paying a guy in the field to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason. Second reason is I'm independent. Right? Nobody's backing me. I'm self, self-funded. Right? So nobody can, can come to me and say, hey, I'm unsatisfied with my return on investment. I'm calling my loans. What just happened to Weatherford? Right, mm-hmm. their investors just called in two billion of their loans, so I don't have anybody that that's hanging that over my head. Yeah. Right, nobody has creative design or intellectual over me. Yep. Okay. You have flexibility. I have flexibility. And ability to execute. It's important. Ability to execute. Right. I've trained the guys. Right. You could be you could be a jam up hand in the field. Right. You could be a badass hand on that rig. Right. Bring you to an, into the office and put five of them in front of you drilling three, four, 500 foot an hour, right? 900 foot an hour in some locations, right? All those rigs in front of you, you got to jam out all the surveys, LAS, gamma logs, all the data, QC, all of it, be in contact with every directional driller on location, get all their information from them, right? Mm-hmm. Contact geostating and engineering, make sure all their data is correct and deliver it to them consistently. First, you got to have a standard, right? Then you got to deliver that standard consistently, repeatedly and effectively at a cost-saving point, right? So you might be a jam-up hand in the field, but you might crumble when you got five, right? It's not for everybody. This is a very high-stress job. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like being an air traffic controller or something, Air right? traffic controller. Yeah, stakes right? are high. Exactly, right? You've got all these different things going mm-hmm. on. You've got to correlate everything. You're almost like a coordinator in a way, yep. right? But you're also MWD hand. <laughs> and, and you have to keep all parties in the know, right? You, the, the operator needs to know what's going on at all times. And you're, you're not only, not only are we representing GS logs, but we're also representing the directional companies that we're working for. Right. So we, we get a standard from the directional company and now we have to not only stay up to GS log standard, but we also have to stay up to the directional company standards. Yeah. Right. And then we're, we're also offering some things direct to the operators that can cut out a lot of things, but, the, the, the industry is changing, and as we see, oil prices are fluctuating every single day. Mm-hmm. Two weeks are on the climb, and everybody thinks we're going to be at $70, $80 a barrel, and then a week later, right boom, down to 55. <laughs> Trump makes a nice little decision overseas, and now we're at 52 Yeah. You know? So, and not only that, but there's a lot of companies that are on the verge of closing their doors because they've been drilling upside down for so long, and their business model isn't right. Hardly anyone drills within cash flow, right? I mean, the problem is, is these assets are profitable, but EMPs and the entire capital structure of oil and gas is broken. So, you know, people are having to look internally to see how can we be more efficient in our operations. And when you take MWDs off location, that snowballs, Mm -hmm. okay? You start taking MWDs off location, okay, now you don't have health insurance, now you don't have payroll tax, now you don't have per diem, mileage. You don't have to worry about him calling saying that his car's broke down and he can't get to the rig or his baby mama's got problems and he needs to leave the rig 
and go home. Now you got logistical issues. Now you need to get another somebody else out there real quick. Or mm-hmm. you got to pull somebody else off another rig and have them watch two rigs bounce back and forth until you get somebody else out there. Okay. Now, now you don't have so many MWDs. How many coordinators you need? Right? Now you don't need so many coordinators. Now you don't have that many MWDs or coordinators. How many people you need in HR? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Now you're getting streamlined. Now you're maximizing profit. That's what the game is about. Stop drilling upside down and maximize profit. We're here to make profit, not friends. Yep. Talking about, you know, the job being stressful, you know, monitoring five rigs at a time. I think before we got on the microphone, started recording, we are kind of talking about how MWD hands get a bad rap in the field. Oh, absolutely. You know, for kind of being bottom, uh, not bottom of the totem pole, but just not having a lot of responsibilities. So I'm sure it's a transition for, you know, going over from like traditional MWD duties to then all of a sudden, oh shit, I'm monitoring five rigs simultaneously while they're all, you know, drilling fast hole and having to coordinate all that. Absolutely. It's so good though. Making making MWDs great again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that took for a second to click, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and we're not relying on algorithms or, or programs to take over the work. We're relying on the experience of the MWD hand to do the job effectively. Mm-hmm. Right. So you've got a guy watching five rigs, right? He's he's sitting there. He ain't got time to be on Facebook or watching YouTube. It ain't no movie-watching dude no more. Yep. He's got a whole bunch of rigs in front of him. He's busy. He's jammed up. Mm-hmm. So he's sitting there watching everything. Not only are we doing what the MWD does, not only are we doing the surveys and producing the logs and delivering everything to the clients, but we're also proactively troubleshooting, right? So if we see an issue taking place, we also have a dedicated troubleshooting desk, right? So if an NWD sees that an NWD tool is having consistent issues, he'll share that rig with our dedicated troubleshooting team. So not only do you have the remote operations supervisor watching the rig, but you also have a dedicated troubleshooting help desk watching the rig as well, right? And we'll begin troubleshooting the tools, okay? Changing out, changing pumps. You know, there's three pumps on location, all right? One and two are on the hole. Let's try one and three whatever it may be, let's try changing flow, work the pipe, whatever it is. Whatever scenario dictates what actions are taken. But we also notify the roving team, okay? We immediately call them, hey, we're troubleshooting the tool, put your boots on, be on standby. Autobots roll out. (laughs) That's what I would use. (laughs) So, So if the remote ops supervisor cannot solve the issue, the rig is then turned over completely to the troubleshooting team, right? We're also working with OEM manufacturers to provide them a service. And partnering with OEM manufacturers, we're seeing both sides of the curtain. We're seeing the drilling side, and we're seeing what they these OEM manufacturers do to their tools when an issue takes place. How are they addressing the problem, and how fast are they addressing the problem, Right. And we also know the failure rates, okay? What tools outperform other tools. But we also have this information and it's creating a knowledge base that the GS Logs team is gonna be, in time, more knowledgeable than in any MWD hand mm-hmm. on location, right? Okay. So- You'll have that collective knowledge share, right? Exactly, collective knowledge share as mm-hmm. well. So when the rig is turned over to a dedicated troubleshooting team, they'll start pulling the OEM manufacturer documents, right? Okay, 
let's get more in depth into this. Let's, and we usually only have an hour to troubleshoot. Once you go past an hour, the company man's like, Hey, is it working or not? Mm-hmm. Once you pass an hour, if the tool ain't working, okay, we're going to make a phone call. We're either going to drill ahead and see if it starts working or we're coming out of the hole. Mm-hmm. Usually you got about 60 minutes to figure it out. It seems a little lenient to 60 minutes. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That, that's usually on nighttime, you know, the nighttime code man is a little bit more lean. Uh, a little bit more relaxed. Let's see, let's see if we can make this a daytime problem, you know. It's 3.30. Let's yeah. make this last till 5.30. Yeah, it's all right, man. We'll work through those pumps. It's all right. It's a couple more hours, man. Shift change. So, and NWD failures do take place. It happens, right? <laughs> so what we do is we immediately notify the operator, the directional company, and the roving team, right? Hey, tools failed. This is what happened. This is the scenario. This is what we did. This is how deep they are. This is what they're doing. And this is how fast we expect them to be out of the hole. We need you on. And, and then we verify that the roving team has mobilized and is on the way to the rig. Right. We make sure that backup tools are on location. So that way that there's, you know, in that scenario, there's no other logistical issue. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm short on batteries. Yeah. Oh, now we got to wait eight hours for a truck. That's the worst. Yeah. Can't be doing that, right? You can't shut down a rig for an MWD tool. Yeah. You don't want to do that, you know. So GS logs is not determined when a tool is pulled. We just make sure that both parties are informed with factual information. Mm-hmm. And we don't we don't do a lot of da- data aggregation for say. We're not a, a big data company. We actually purge a lot of data. Okay. Right? Because we work with so many different companies. Yeah. That non-disclosure agreements become effect, you know, insider information, all that type of stuff. I don't want to be responsible for all these companies' data, yeah. right? No, a lot got, of those companies are probably paranoid too about oh, any, yeah. you know, any disclosure yeah. of their data to any other operators that you're working with. Exactly. So it's better for you to just say, hey, we don't even see the data. So. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I purge a lot of data. Yeah. And that's uh, that's another reason why I have two facilities, right? So if somebody wants to come tour my, my Houston office, I now push all my rigs to the Huntsville facility. Mm-hmm. So that way no data is being shown being when somebody comes in. When they come in. Right, exactly. Very interesting. So we're, we're not here to steal anybody's information. We're not here to compete with directional companies. We're not going to be delivering tools. We're not going to become an NWD company. We're going to be 100% remote ops. We're, we're actually here to help the industry. Mm-hmm. We're not here to compete. We're not here to take any of your work away from you. We're here to actually help you become more profitable. We're here to help you find dollars you didn't know you had. Absolutely. You know, operators are wanting these directional directional companies to drill faster and faster, and 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 they're not making as much money as they used to. And there's a lot of companies that aren't aren't making the profits mm-hmm. that they need to make this to keep the doors open. Yeah. Right. They're responsible for a lot of a lot of a lot of families. Yeah. Absolutely. Know, putting food on the table mm-hmm. for a lot of people, and when when doors close suddenly. And the employees had no idea what was coming down the pipe. It hurts. Yeah, it hurts a lot bad. of people. It's bad for everybody. There's, there's a lot of people on LinkedIn that have been out of work for six, nine months. Yeah, you know, directional drillers. A lot of senior hands, and and that's another thing, is for all all the guys that are out of work that are senior hands, change your title to a rookie. Tell them you don't know anything, because they're gonna want to hire you. you know, because they don't now you don't know anything. You're not. They're not expecting you to want that much money. 
You know, that's what, uh, going back to my story of getting hired on at Savannah Drilling, they told me the reason that they hired me is because I, I didn't know anything. Yeah. And so, you know, I probably got Play paid. stupid. Yeah. And they were able to train me the way that they wanted me trained. You know, exactly. I didn't bring any bad habits with me, exactly. et cetera. So exactly. it's interesting. It's a bold move to do it, but hey, yeah, I, I mean, work. <laughs> you work so hard to learn all this stuff, right? And have that title. Yeah. You don't want to let go of that title, yeah, right? Exactly. But okay, a paycheck is better than no paycheck. Yeah. You know? So if, if changing your title gets you a job, why not do it? Do it, man. Yeah. So before we tie up things here, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of directional drillers, MWDs listening, accompanymen that are probably interested in GS Logs. Where can they find you at? www.gslogs.net. You can also see a lot of our stuff on LinkedIn. I've done uh, tours of my remote ops facility. I've posted quite a few videos of, of what we're doing uh, on LinkedIn. We'll have to stop by sometime and we can yeah. get some video and post it up on our website so everyone can check it out. And yeah. if you're uh, if you're interested in GS Logs, either in using their services or potentially working with them someday in the future, just reach out to Dallas on LinkedIn or uh, through their website. Absolutely. Or you can call me direct at 832-714-0101. Man, you can call him direct. That's a real call field hand. Like, That's a good customer. 24-7, you can call me. Speak directly to we've the been owner. Talk, we've been talking a lot about this, especially about customer service, because we've been dealing with some terrible companies lately and how we just could never get a hold of anybody. And that's one of the major perks I think a lot of people overlook it's, of working with startups is you have direct access well, it's the trend. to the top. It's the trend in the tech industry and the SaaS platforms where that you can't call anybody. It's all through help desk or yeah, chat box yeah, or, and it's and you can man, never get the problem people resolved. are people never. are moving away from customer service and it's just like man I just want to pick up a phone and call someone so exactly i mean you got to have somebody to yell at you can't yeah. yell at a program <laughs> you know what i mean for all the companies out there you are in the people business first and foremost and never forget that yeah absolutely we have no problem taking an ass show we were just talking we were just talking about this before we recorded that there's like the circle of life when it comes to oil field like someone's always going to get chewed out for a problem and so you know it goes down from the engineer to the company man to the mwd to the mwd blaming a, a rough neck for putting a plastic bag down the pipe so you know it always comes full circle so Absolutely. it's good to be able to take an ash tune every once in a while but dallas appreciate you coming on the show man really interested to see Thank what you guys are doing man let's get you on sometime soon and get a uh, progress update Absolutely. Will do. Right. Thank you all very much for having me. Thank you all very much. Come, 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 come.